Hello and welcome to another episode of Other Record Labels. I'm Scott Orr. Today is an exciting episode because it's our first Canadian um, record label. Paperbag Records are out of Toronto and this podcast is um, out of Canada. And so this is great to have our first uh, Canadian label. I'm excited to talk to them. But first, I want to talk about um, two things. Number one, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. The downloads have been consistent and have been growing, and uh, I'm excited to see that, and I appreciate it. And um, there's no plan to stop episodes, so please subscribe. You can get us on Tuned In or Apple Podcasts, YouTube's uh, Stitcher, I think is another one. Um, however you listen, please subscribe. Please share with other friends if you can uh, on social media and, um, and and with other folks in the industry. I really appreciate that. If you have a question um, or a suggestion, you can email me at podcast at otherrecordlabels.com. Uh, and if you have emailed me and I haven't responded, I will. I promise. I'm sorry. I'm terrible at that. Um, the other thing is I have to thank our sponsor, Work Hard, Playlist Hard. This is an interesting thing. It's, it's you know, sponsorship is a loose word, but it's basically we've kind of partnered with them to share their ebook. And you can get their ebook at ebook.otherrecordlabels.com. And it's uh, an ebook about um, demystifying the world of streaming and streaming uh, playlists on streaming platforms. And it's a great book. I, um, I've read it and I found it to be very helpful. They're also like a really great company when it comes to curating playlists and they're, they're quite large. And they're, um, the other interesting thing about them is just, just yesterday from when this is being recorded, um, Spotify announced the, the uh, option to submit upcoming unreleased songs to their playlist curators directly. And that's a new thing. And that's a huge thing. I'm really excited to see what happens with that. Um, and I found out about that through work hard, playlist hard through their social media. So they're just a, a, a playlist, um, individual and a person who is really interested in playlists and has a lot of information. You can get their ebook at ebook.otherrecordlabels.com and use the coupon code other for 10% off. If you do that, it's great. It helps us a lot. Um, much appreciated, but it's a good book too, you know, regardless if it helps us or not. The book has helped me. Canadian label Paperbag Records is home to Born Ruffians, um, The Deers, Map of, Sam Roberts Band, uh, The Acorn, Young Rival, uh, Post Data, and um, tons of other great bands. And we're lucky enough to have Noah chat with us. Thanks so much for doing this. Um, you're in Toronto right now? I'm in Toronto, yeah. Yeah, and things are going well? Things are great, yeah. That's good. Keeping busy. You guys, yeah, you guys seem really busy. I've been following you on social for um, quite a bit the uh, last couple of years, and I noticed like a lot of big releases coming from you guys all the time and in quick succession. Like, what's going on over there? Where do you get the energy for all this? <laughs> well, we're a small but mighty team, and I think, uh, yeah, just like it's it's – whenever good things come across our desk or whenever there's, you know, artists we work with that have new records, we're always keen to come up with the uh, release plan as soon as possible. And then more often than not, it's, they all kind of fall around the same time. So we, we just hit the <laughs> ground running kind yeah. of 365 days a year. Um, I think that um, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of curious. I'm going off the off, off for a sec, but 
when if you hear someone you like i mean how what what is that process like is that somebody will send you something is it a referral from a friend or seeing someone at a show and then if yeah sorry answer that question go ahead well i was just gonna say that um yeah it's actually a question that comes up a lot with uh you know new artists uh that are wondering how to get signed to a label and i would say in our time in, in my time at paper bag anyway i haven't like we've never once signed an artist from like say a cold call right. or a cold email. Right. It's always based on kind of, yeah, like webs of relationships in a lot of ways. So we've got people whose taste we really respect who send us stuff that they've kind of, you know, like vetted. Um, mm. So it, it comes in a lot of ways or it can be somebody that one of us in the office is really excited about. And then we bring it to the like larger team. So uh, yeah, in general, I would say the, the way we tend to sign new artists is through recommendations or some, I mean, in a couple of cases I can think of uh, we just found things online and then reached out to the artist directly. Oh, cool. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. That is a big question. And I mean, it's something I've asked a lot of labels too, that I've talked to, And it's actually, you know, surprisingly, like very surprisingly, there was one or two times where a label has said they've actually signed someone from like a demo being emailed to them, Mm -hmm. which I was really shocked by because mostly what you're saying is, is a little bit more the norm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's largely a function of anything in kind of like anything in marketing, right? Like you don't want to think of music as a product, but ultimately when it, when you're a label, like it is a product and you're right. figuring out how to best market it. And so I think in a lot of ways, we all like in our day-to-day life, um, come across things that we interpret in different ways. And if somebody that whose taste we really respect tells us about something, uh, that makes you think of that thing in a different way. And so I, I I've always thought that that's like the best advice to, musicians is to like really do research on like who are the people involved at a, at a given label or publicity teams or agents or whatever and find a way in that's a bit more like knowing who has the relationship with who and mm. like trying to get in that way as opposed to just coming in cold yeah instead of sending just a, a padded envelope to their office <laughs> yeah yeah exactly we and, have gotten some actually pretty creative padded envelopes oh really and there was one guy that ordered us a pizza once and oh, like really? within the pizza was i think a usb or a yeah, oh, nice. I will give full full marks. For Did a you eat the pizza? On that one. <laughs> yeah, I do, <laughs> I do recall eating pizza. Yeah, it was a while ago now. Oh man, that's <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. I, I definitely would have thought of that. I, you know, I was, um, and it's true because I think about I think about my friends who have been signed by um, significant labels, and it the the signing process has been them um, working incredibly hard on their own for 10 years doing their own grant applications doing everything on their own then being referred by someone you know an engineer that they've worked with for a long time then being referred to this person then to an agent you know what i mean it's been like a 10 or 15 year process for a young band absolutely yeah and i mean i can attest to that firsthand because i'm i play in a band that's Mm -hmm. actually on the label and so it's like i and i've always been the guy in the band that was the like more business-minded person of trying to figure out like how to Mm. how to make things happen and drum up interest and all that and and i know how kind of crazy like how long the road is to get anywhere and uh you make a lot of missteps and a lot of mistakes and uh, you know i like to think like slowly every me or everybody who kind of does it longer and longer starts to figure out what works and what doesn't but yeah yeah it's 
it's a long way to the top. <laughs> so that's a good segue. Your band is Young Rival. You guys are originally yeah. from Hamilton, right? Or you're you're originally from we Hamilton? We are. That's awesome. Yeah, we're all in the other two guys are still there and I'm in Toronto. Yeah. So um you're you guys are, are very well loved here in Canada. I'm genuinely genuinely curious though, like how and when the, the label came to be. Yeah, so when the late when our involvement with the label came to be, or when or, or like when it, how did paper bag um is that something you started or how did it come to be and how did you get involved? No, with it? so yeah, paper bag was started, it was founded actually uh 16 years ago now okay. by Trevor oh. LaRock, and so he's still he's st like still the owner and president of the company. Okay. And it actually, like, the first some of the first releases on the label were Broken Social Scenes, You Forgot It, You wow. Forgot It in People, and uh. The first stars record as wow. well so and then from there kind of like tokyo police club the rea born mm -hmm. it's like a lot of extra yeah. uh so the, yeah it's kind of got like a very well established history of like super notable releases and then even you know some bigger commercial stuff like sam roberts uh, right. we've released that outside of canada so the label yeah it's um it kind of came about at the time when the there was that like real burgeoning when indie music I guess was starting to like mm -hmm. uh, hit the like wider wider commercial audience and uh, yeah Paper Bag was definitely one of those labels that was trying to find like work with artists that were just doing really cool stuff and uh, it kind of all turned into this massive scene from everybody's individual efforts. How did you get involved? So, it, um, well, I. I mean, it's. I guess the abbreviated story would be there's a, a the the publicist that Paperbag has. His name's Daryl Weeks, and his uh, company's called Stage Fright Publicity. And uh, I've known Daryl for I guess almost maybe even like ten years, maybe more than that. Wow. And um, he used to work publicity for Young Rival before we were even that. We were called The Ride Theory, and so he had done a bunch of stuff with us when we. I think I met him through the Sadies because we were touring with mm -hmm. the Sadies, and you know fast forward like eight years or maybe six or seven years from the time we had worked with him we kind of reconnected and i was talking to him about some young rival stuff and then i got him the music and he really started to go to bat on our behalf uh at, at paper bag and so that again it kind of ties back to like when i think back on and that's inevitable that that eventually is what got assigned to the label and then um from that relationship i i was starting to do more artist management things like that outside of the band and i became part of the like working at paper bag through that as well so hmm. it, it does go back to this idea that um you know daryl i really have to thank for both it's like getting my band signed and kind of like <laughs> figuring out a certain uh trajectory of my like other non-music career yeah yeah which has been interesting so yeah it's it's kind of it all it all goes back to to daryl and then the relationships that built from there the band is has been successful and the label is successful do you prefer one of the over the other um i think you know it, it i go back and forth on this because i feel like they're different uh you know it's kind of like a different itch to scratch right <laughs> to yeah. put it plainly like there's the I, I do think like young rivals been fairly inactive for the last like year or so okay. and uh, that that break has been kind of nice, and I think it's given me like a real opportunity to be more fully, uh, like more fully part of the industry side in mm -hmm. a lot of ways, mm -hmm. and um, and that's been really cool. But at the same time, I, I yeah, I'm like really, I still love playing, and I'm like kind of 
more ready to write another record than I've been in years and years. And because I think we were getting worn down in a certain to a certain degree uh, where things were like going well, but we didn't we you know we felt almost like we hit a bit of a plateau or that we it wasn't being as fulfilling as when we initially started the band so taking a bit of time off and getting a bit of critical distance has been really great and Aaron Alessio, the lead singer he's also like i manage him and yep. he's yep. he's on this label so we all still like work super super closely but um yeah they do different things for me i will say that always being the more like business person in the band uh, like i was just finding myself getting more way more excited to say be like finished a record and trying to find a label or like mm. going on tour and trying to like meet new business people that could get us somewhere like it, i mm. i definitely preferred that over uh like being in a studio and recording a record or writing songs like i i've i've realized that that's not my strength and i, I think my time is really well used if i'm more focused on like finding the vision and the strategy for getting people's ears on a record so right that's been it's been fun to be like out of the band world and work with bands that aren't my own because i'm just so close to it when it's my own it's, it's cool to like be a bit more bird's eye view where i'm mm. not part of the creative in terms of making a record but i'm part of the creative and in, in terms of coming up with a strategy and the plan to like market it totally it must make you more relatable to bands too i mean because some of these younger bands would have been fans of your band growing up <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it's a nice thought. Yeah, I hope so. I hope people care. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it's. I I do think that is a strength that I would have versus somebody that maybe tried to learn how to be in the music business by like getting an MBA or something. Yeah, yeah. I right. know what it's like to do those like really shitty tours right. to nobody and yeah. the long drives and all that stuff. So I can. I I certainly try to parlay that into my approach and uh, making sure that I'm not like. I don't want to be the one that a band is shit talking on an eight hour drive. <laughs> I want them to be like comfortably <laughs> taken care of and setting things up in a way where like, I, I know that they're thriving. Essentially. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, l let's move on. You guys did a rebrand not too long ago. That was, was pretty significant. Can you talk about that, pro that process and, and why you felt it was time to overhaul the look of the label? Yeah. Well, we had, it had been the same, logo for kind of like there was very briefly when the label founded there was a different logo and then kind of for like 15 years we had the same one happening and there was just in like overall within the team like a, a real feeling that things had changed and shifted mm -hmm. and we wanted a fresh start and it is such a funny thing that seems so like minuscule but like when you when you do a full rebrand, be it like, you know, for us, we did a new logo, a new website, new online shop, like mm -hmm. the packaging of our records changed all these things. It really did freshen things up and gave all of us like a really nice, like a re-energized feeling. We did it at the wow. the turn of the year. So it was right at the beginning, like January, 2017. Um, and it, it also uh, coincided with, we started a new uh, label within the paper bag umbrella called paper bag vintage yes, and that was yeah. a, a reissue label so there was that and then we had uh, also signed four new artists that we were releasing in 2017 mm -hmm. and each of those artists were single individual musicians and so it was just kind of like this cool moment where we had set all these things up and it felt like we were going back to the the early days of like indie a and r and indie artist development and so with that came the rebrand 
Um, and yeah, it, it, I think it went over really well and it's, it, it definitely got some attention and I think it made like press and just people that we've been partners with forever and had relationships with forever, give us a second look and, and think about it in a new light. So that I, I would say that we like achieved the goal of that. That's, I mean, it's really amazing to hear because, and I, and I like that you're not downplaying the, um, the effect that it has because I mean, it is just the image of a label on a music company, but it's, um, for me personally, as a Canadian outsider, as someone who's a fan of your artist, a fan of the label, um, aware of the label, I definitely noticed it. To me, it was a lot like a haircut. It's like somebody yeah, walks by right, and it's like, right. you know, like, man, what's, what, did you lose weight? Like what, you know? And so that was kind of, um, I noticed it right away and I thought it looked really cool. And, and you're right. Like as, as these, these big records came out in 2017, it just kind of all fit together. Mm-hmm. That was really yeah, cool. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, now, I, I want to get really granular here because I'm kind of curious about this, but um, you guys do this paper wrap on your vinyls. Like, is it an OB strip? Is that is that what that's the called? The OB strip, that's right. Okay, yeah. so um, like, what is, I'm curious, like, w- about this idea. Where, um, why do you guys do that? Yeah, well, it. Uh, so Trevor Larock, who's the founder of Paper Bag and President, he is like, a massive vinyl junkie and okay. a huge collector. And he also owns a record shop in Toronto called tiny record shop. In oh, the okay. East End. Yeah, and yeah. so he like, he has just like a total encyclopedic knowledge of music in general and vinyl in particular. And, um, OB strips, I believe the, the history of OB strips were, were that, um, they, they were being used on vinyl and I don't even know what decade this would have been, but maybe like the seventies or sixties or something like that. And it was because English, um, like English copies of records were being distributed from English distributors into Japan. And so they needed, they would put an Obi strip on each product that was in Japanese so that people would understand what this product was. Yeah. No way. And yeah. And so Trevor, being a very astute uh, vinyl expert, like was really drawn to that type of product design. And so we started incorporating that into our releases over the last couple of years. And it's, it's definitely been a really cool way. Like when you see one of them on, on a record store, like display, it stands out and Mm. it's kind of like a funner, we, we do try to like make all the packaging special so that it it goes back to that feeling of like somebody buying a record and immersing themselves on a record and it's not just about like a stream on a on a music service or whatever you're like surrounding yourself with the product of it and so on the ob strip we would have just like details like the artist name and the album title but then each of them have uh, a blurb on the back that's usually written by the artist that goes a bit more in depth so you can kind Amazing. of like take that in and again yeah. it's like so you're interpreting this record through through the artist's words as well and we just found it to be yeah it's it's been received also like very well i'd say and it it's such a subtle thing but it when people especially canadians are shopping in a record store and like every 10 or 20 records in the new release section one of these pops out um, yeah. I think it has a huge like subconscious impact on people just to familiarize themselves with the label and it's uh-huh. great. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm I'm glad you noticed. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think they look really cool. I totally know what you're talking about now with the the Japanese stuff. I remember. I mean, I grew up when I was a teenager. It was all about CDs. But I remember the if you were a collector of a band, like 
like they would have like the Japanese imports and it would have yes. uh, like a paper spine, you know, that would like be sh mm -hmm. like shrink wrapped around it. I remember that with like some of the Radiohead stuff. That's yeah, so totally, cool. Man. I didn't realize mm -hmm. that was the, the origin of them. I mean, it, it's such a cool thing. I imagine it's not like drastically expensive either. No, it ends up being, I think like a dollar per unit or something. Oh, and, oh that's uh, more than so I would have thought. Yeah, I I don't oversee our production, yeah, so sure. I could be getting that totally. No, wrong. that's fine. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's okay. yeah, it ends up being like depending on the quantity that we're making. It it, it it yeah, it sort of like adds to the the vibe of the product too. So yeah, generally artists are happy with it, but not all the time. I think what I love about it as well is and, and you know getting super like uh, psychological here, but I I really like that. The great thing about vinyl is to me is it's a really respectful way to treat the music and to say, you know, we're not just going to, you know, email these MP3s to people. We are going to give it a physical release and we are going to like basically, you know, um, engrave it in history with this physical unit. And yeah. so to put the Obi strip on there is just another thing of saying, hey, this is not just a, this, this is like a, a product, but this is like a moment in time. I think it's very mm -hmm. respectful to the art. Hey, that's, I, I <laughs> that's couldn't just my say opinion. it better. And I'm, I'm glad. I feel like I want to like, uh, I will play this back to artists that are like, I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but it's true. It, it does like it, it, uh, it's good for the legacy. I think is, is also what you're implying too, where, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's showing that everybody on all sides is putting effort into a release and, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, giving it everything we got speaking of legacy so you launched paper bag vintage i'm very curious about that can you explain that a little bit yeah the idea of that came out of again like the the realization that there was like there's a period especially in like the 90s into mm. early 2000s where a lot of where cds were the be all end all and so there there are some pretty crucial albums and this the paper bag vintage is solely for canadian Okay. Uh, Canadian releases, okay. but we do release them worldwide if we can get rights to them worldwide. Mm. But um, yeah, we wanted to, the, the goal of the series is to have like a really carefully curated collection of Canadian only releases that have either never been pressed to vinyl or have been out of print for a long time. So from there, we've done like a, a box set by the Deers. We've done a box set by Great Lake Swimmers. We've mm -hmm. done, um, the acorn tokyo police club's first dp uh we're working on some other stuff with russian futurists and so yeah there's been like i i believe we've done i want to say like 12 or 13 albums within wow. the last year ish and so it's been a lot of fun and and i'd say it's also been a cool imprint because it uh it's a, it's an activity that we can do where we're like building bridges with other labels and distributors and artists and managers that aren't because you don't have to be on paper bag to do it right so okay i was curious about license that a, yeah we can license a title from another label but put it out through our paper bag vintage imprint Why? because the way like the, the deals we work out are like super artist friendly where we're not asking for any right to the masters we're sure. only asking to do like a very limited edition one-off pressing and like most of the pressings we do are only like 300 to 500 copies so they oh, wow. the goal is to like sell them out right away and why aren't um, the labels doing it themselves well that becomes the debate right and uh, normally uh i think there are label like if an artist on a different label takes it to their label and says oh like paper bag vintage wants to do this the 
the knee-jerk reaction is like, well, we'll just do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. But that kind of misses the point. Like, we want this to be something like this isn't at this point, this is not like a money making venture. Right, it's right. like very much something we're doing to, yeah, like have ceremonial this, like, legacy. Yeah, yeah. Like restored. And so like, we can make sure that there are physical nice, nicely done pressings of like really monumental albums uh, like in, yeah, within like on the public record, I guess. Yeah. I think that's genius. And I, I kind of got that impression. I was curious if they were paper bag only, but um, I kind of got that impression when you launched it. And I thought it's great because that's something, I mean, anybody, I think anybody like of a certain age um, knows that there, there's some really huge records, like you've said, from the early 2000s and late 90s that are, um, that we want on vinyl. And, yeah. um, I, I remember, you know, it's like, it's the reason why like all of the Jimmy world catalog is like 40 bucks and they're like double vinyl and 200 gram because yeah. it, you know, everybody wants these records and there was no thought of putting the, them on vinyl at the time. No. So yeah. I think it didn't make sense. I, I think it's, I think it's such a such a cool thing are you it must be a a bit of a process like are you having to go back and and find the masters is it is it difficult for some of these records it is yeah we've had a couple where we've had to like redo the artwork from the oh, ground yeah. up or just go with right. like different artwork because you'd have you know completely incompatible files and yeah. things that just weren't designed to be printed at 12 on like inches. a 12 yeah. inch record sleeve yeah interesting so it's um yeah there's definitely been some some hiccups there and so far we haven't yeah there hasn't been issues with finding the masters but in general i'd say there are like yeah it, it's kind of like a fun project and figuring <laughs> like out a scavenger how it all come together <laughs> yeah yeah you so don't know what's gonna be i there. won't like make you spill the beans on what's to come but like are you guys gonna keep doing this are there more records coming down there are yeah we've got some plans for some artists on the paper bag roster as well as some artists that are not within the immediate family but um yeah I, we're hoping that we have a few more in the in the next like in the months ahead we'll be announcing a few more after the junos a couple weeks ago everyone's talking about bare naked ladies again man maybe you should do the gordon or something you know what i will <laughs> so we had i will just put this out there we had a meeting with the bare naked ladies like we, no we went and yeah and <laughs> and met with them at the studio that they were recording their their recent album at and it sounded like very quickly we realized that we were we didn't have a fighting chance at gordon but uh, like <laughs> yeah. that was my first cd that i ever bought so yeah oh sure it was like it, it was cool to just even be in the meeting but yeah. they yeah <laughs> i don't think that that was something we were going to get very far with but i will say there's maybe some other things that we we could potentially be doing with them well they have a great live record that's from like the late 90s too that i would i'll right. support that yeah. if they do that one which yeah. is just as good as cool. gordon um yeah. that's awesome you know i felt really nostalgic when i was watching that i had forgot how much i appreciated them when I was watching yeah. that Juno performance. I know, man. Yeah, it was like very foundational stuff. Um, I want to ask you about a recent release you guys did earlier this year by uh, Jonathan Kotchuk. Is that Did I say that right? You did, yeah. Um, it, it's an instrumental ambient record. I'm really curious about labels who put out records in this genre, especially a label that isn't a strictly ambient only label. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about why you wanted to release this record? yeah well we wanted to release it because we just found it very beautiful and and kind of like undeniable in terms of 
like we there were, we were listening to a lot of stuff like Max Richter and Ben Frost and some like things that are Johan Johansson and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And yeah, we actually found out about Jonathan through Daryl Weeks, our publicist. Okay. And um, yeah, just like really quickly, like vibes quite well with him. And beyond this record, like Jonathan is, he's young, he's only 24, but he's wow. been like scoring stuff for films. He's doing this, pro- uh, it's a program with the Canadian Film Center where he's like learning more about composition and he's already had stuff done on his own where he's like synced music with like Vogue Italy and like all these mm. things that like usually artists well into their career are getting, but right. he's, he's like such a hardworking guy and his output is so consistently good that we, we were just like really keen to be part of his career and to like help where we can. So that's how it came about. And, and I would say like, that's also one way for better or for worse that we try to curate our, our roster. And it's like, you know, those records aren't necessarily the, like they'll maybe get playlisting and stuff like that on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Jonathan has been super successful. Like he got on this, uh, like, I think it's called, uh, like one of those focused playlists on Spotify. Oh yeah. And for study, like people one studying of his tracks is probably, yeah. It, That's it's awesome. Like over a million streams now. So oh my gosh. Like things like that. It's, it's sort of made for that, but it's, some of these releases that are ambient artists aren't ones that are going to sell a whole ton of vinyl, but we really, the goal is to curate um, just like a, a, a roster that is, is cool and that we can all stand behind and that we think is doing good work. And Jonathan is one of those artists that we're like really proud to be here with him And like at, at the beginning of his career, it's like yeah. really cool to think where he might go like, two, three records from now. Well, and I don't think a lot of ambient artists, I mean, maybe it's changing today, but a lot of instrumental artists ever thought that they could get signed to a an indie rock label and have a vinyl right. pressing, you know, on their first record. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so we're, I, I think we're that's amazing. And, and I cool. think, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about ambient music and experimental music because, um, and we've done, we've done a little bit of it in the past year, but, um, what I think is kind of cool is with, um, you know, with the streaming that's happening and kind of back in the day, people used to spend like 10 bucks on an album and they really had to, to think through that process of, of buying a record because they only had so much money to spend. Whereas today when you spend $10 and you get every record, I feel like mm-hmm. it opens people up more to listen to those playlists that Jonathan are on and and yeah. to to explore more music because it's essentially the same price for them it's true yeah and it also just happens to be music that works really well within the streaming um right platform right yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean i got into um a lot of the the stuff from erase tapes through streaming just oh, because cool. you know i could just click through to to Olafur or Neil's stuff and just keep listening to everything that they've done, um, you know, because, you know, how would I have ever found out or, or got access to those CDs or records years yeah, ago, you know? Totally. But I think it's great because it's, you know, there's not necessarily like you weren't expecting it to go to the top of the charts or anything, <laughs> but I think yeah. it's, it's such a, it's a great thing. I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast about genres and how they've been disappearing and becoming less relevant to listeners does paper bag have like a, a sonic fingerprint in your mind is there like a thread between your bands um 
It's a good question because we don't work things like we don't have a, an R&B artist or like a rap mm-hmm. artist or mm-hmm. anything like that. So I would say like most of what we do is within indie rock, whatever that means, uh, or just like, yeah, I guess it raises, yeah, like a larger question of like what is indie and what is not. Like right. we just put out a Yamantaka Sonic Titan record that is it shreds like the best of them in terms of metal music, but it, it also still has this, it straddles this line between metal and indie and, uh, but it's like a truly cool and interesting piece of work, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I would say that we in general do mostly indie sounding stuff, but have certainly branched out into, yeah, more like ambient, music into yeah more like we've got some folk artists that i wouldn't consider indie folk like yeah it's yeah a bit all like it's not all over the place but it's um it's it there's enough varied um like there's there's varied artists in there so that it becomes a bit more dynamic was this jonathan thing an experiment will you guys be doing more ambient instrumental stuff if we find things that connects with us for sure, yeah. we're actually putting out uh, this Friday, another band we work with called the Luyas from Montreal. Okay. Two of the, the members, Jesse Stein and uh, Petro Amato, they've, uh, they've actually made a, a instrumental record called after language. So we're putting that out and it's like, a, we're doing a very limited, hmm. uh, there's only like a hundred copies of the record that we've pressed and then we'll do like a full digital servicing once it's out so that it's, the the album itself was kind of made for vinyl because there's only two tracks on it and each one is 20 or 21 minutes. Oh, I love so, that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really beautiful piece as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything holding us back. Like we've even done, we've done Tim Hecker, who is, I wouldn't mm. call him ambient. Right, He's right. More, yeah. Some of his stuff can be pretty abrasive in like noise based, sure. but it's no less beautiful. Um, I don't want to get too technical here, but did I read that... Um, that Jonathan he he played back the final mixes in the woods and recorded them outdoors. Is that true? Yeah, it is. So the album is called North, and it's in part because the bulk of the tracking was done in all sorts of different northern locations, like in northern Alberta, and then uh, like Iceland, and like a few different places in Europe. And then he ended up going to this forest. It's like a national forest. <laughs> in norway i believe and he broadcast the record and then made he he made a recording of that and that is that version is what you hear on the album because in in his mind he wanted the conversation with the north to be a two-way street so he really wanted his kind of interpretations and feel for it to be mixed with the actual environment like a north an actual northern environment to to really like paint the right picture that's amazing. I, I, I want to go it back is. and listen to it with headphones to hear that. Yeah, yeah. It's a great headphones record. Um, I want to, you guys, uh, I won't take too much more of your time, but you guys have a, a, like we mentioned, a consistent release schedule of releases lately. One of the questions I have for any label really is looking back at releases from last fall that are barely a year old, um, in the, in, but in the minds of, of pop culture, they're ancient, you know, what, what can a label do to breathe life into a record that is still undiscovered by most of the world, but is completely old news to, to blogs and, and, and even maybe internally for you guys looking at what's next. Yeah. I would say the biggest thing you can do is leverage 
the the power and influence in relationships you have at streaming services because streaming mm. to me has really created the potential not the guarantee but the potential of extending a, a record like a record's life cycle wow um good point and so we yeah like what what i would say is like we i agree 100 percent. there can really be this feeling that um when you're so much of the effort that a label does is that setup period where right. you're kind of getting all the assets you're getting people excited about it you're trying to like just spur interest among your partners and your publicists and press and mm -hmm. distributors and everything um but then the moment it comes out you kind of feel like okay this thing is free it's out there in the world now and uh it's there are records where if there's no touring or other assets or things that you can use to support it it kind of feels like it's both the release day and like the death day because <laughs> yeah. there's nothing to sustain <laughs> yeah, any totally. momentum and that's that's really where touring and what the artist can do comes into play so when you start to move into that like what i would call phase two it's about like how do you keep that interesting for your fans and how do you keep building new fans mm. and streaming does allow us uh to to really you know you you used to need an entire record to make a dent and now you only need one song mm. that's really carefully marketed and the more we learn about people's behavior on streaming services and the more we talk with our reps and work closely with them, you see how much impact um, one song can have when you treat it like it's an event. Like where a great example, good uh, hometown little shadow here, but like Arkells, like those guys yeah. have oh, for sure. put out this recent song, People's Champ, and then that Knocking at the Door track, which was about a year ago. Like these are two songs and they have gotten entire tours worth yeah. of momentum out of that point. and it's because yeah. everything they've done is so carefully crafted and you know there's a huge visual element there's a strategy at streaming there's a strategy for touring there's a strategy for like any like an aesthetic that yeah. goes with it yeah um the more careful and detailed you are the the longer the life you can get out of a record like because everybody hopes that something that you can't control will happen and you hope that like maybe a song ends up in some big like tv show or movie mm. moment but you can't you can like put a our job is to put a record in a place where good things can happen to it and where like it can find its own luck but beyond that like we can't make it be in a big movie or in like a, a tv show sure. or whatever we can just hope that that stuff happens and work really hard to hope that like those opportunities find it but um an artist can really, you know, social media is more important than ever. I would say press is least important as ever, you know, like mm. it, that press isn't what's guiding a lot of releases, a lot of indie releases. It truly is that in this era where everybody has everything all the time, uh, that, that like direct to fan relationship that I think a lot of bands we work with are very good at even our like Max, Max is very good at making people feel like they're part of this community yeah. of, of our yeah. Right. And you really need to earn every fan and fight for every fan and make sure that they're fulfilled by the work you're doing. Mm. Um, and it, it's that type of like, uh, micro thinking that can end up making a, an album cycle mm -hmm. or a song cycle last a lot longer beyond uh, release date. Cause I'm with you. Sometimes you think back on like last fall, like that seems like, an eternity ago yeah because things just move on so quickly and so it's it's really about like bolstering existing fans and trying to reach new ones um and uh, that a lot of that does come direct from the artist and that's uh, a great so point that's like the best way to do it and i feel like um yeah i mean that's that's uh, that's also 
so good to hear. And, and, and I have to remind myself that if I were to go to, you know, Apple Music right now and, and find a record that came out in January, that would be, you know, old news, or even a record that came out in November or September, October of last year, um, it would be brand new to me. I wouldn't feel it mm-hmm. to be old at all. I would totally get into it and yeah. consider it a new release. Exactly. And you can also have these things because, you know, with Spotify, you're, you're in, a, in some ways you're competing with an algorithm. Like we're trying yeah. to find a way yeah. that a computer can favor the artists we work with. And so <laughs> you never know how that's going to play out. And you might have the, like Jonathan Kotrick is a good example of that. where like, we released the record sort of like attention around it, sort of crested downwards. And then all of a sudden we get this playlist ad and it's like, Oh my God, we have over a million streams of one song. Now. Wow. And so that in itself then gives everything a bit more life and and you can like ride that momentum even longer so you never know how these things are there's like a lot of bumps in the road that can bump you to like a, a better spot where like the the swell continues yeah that's what we're all gunning for so why do records then if if we're talking about the streaming thing and if one song gets a million and the other get you know, less than 10,000, mm-hmm. why not put all, everything behind one song? Kind of like what the Arkells did with Knocking on the Door. Yeah, it feels as though it, it, that to me is very genre dependent. If okay. you're going for okay. purely commercial yeah. success, or like if, if yeah. that's the aim is to be like a radio band, then I think you can get a lot of mileage out of one song. Right. But if you're working in some of the more niche genres that we work then you, in, in a lot of ways, I do think like press can matter with things like that. And I will say, press the press apparatus and thinking about like reviews and previews and all that sort of hyping of projects that is still very much like in in somewhat of a dark age of like press still works around a record Mm. there is a time where they weren't even paying a lot of attention to eps true And, and so like you've still got to play ball with that and i think and i hope that that model is changing and like people can just do songs, but like do them in a way that um, make them feel like they're again, like that they're an event. Um, And then maybe like press will start to change the way that they're doing things. But it's um, yeah, there's no easy answer to it. (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing is I think artists like making albums because they have a vision for things that's more, it's about like a cohesive collection of material as opposed to like one that contains everything and it's only three minutes long. Totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think so, fans like records. I would be pissed off I if my favorite records, bands did yeah. one song every six months or something. Yeah. 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 You'd be just waiting for the next one. You'd it's be going crazy. It's just hard because Spotify doesn't add all 10 songs to the same playlist. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it would be yeah. great. Yeah. It would be great. Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, you know, embarrassingly, you're the first Canadian label we've talked to on this show. We've done about oh, 10 or 11, and, and here we are about 30 minutes away from each other. Um, do you like running a label in Canada, or do you think things would be easier in a larger market like the U.S.? I do. I, I really love, I like being part of a Canadian label that has um, very interna- an international reach because now more than ever with the way that uh, streaming works and marketing works, you don't need to have people on the ground necessarily in all sorts of different countries. So mm. we spend a lot of time as a label. We did like a month in New York in November and we're going to LA. Like we're in the U S a lot. We go to the UK and Europe a couple times, at least a year. So um, it's nice to have the foothold and support Canada and like, try our best to export Canadian artists. Hmm. Um, 
but at the same time, yeah, like sometimes you feel a bit of a limitation because you're not in these other places, but you just, you, you treat those places properly and you go there and you build relationships and, uh, and make friends and good things happen. That's awesome. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. you yeah. It's been fun chatting. You got a great label. I, I, I love watching you guys. I love, um, uh, you definitely come to this place, um, where I know when you announce a new record, it's like, I'm going to like this record and oh, cool. you can just automatically add it to the library. Oh, appreciate that. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening. Please check us out on otherrecordlabels.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Paperbag Records and Paperbag Vintage. Uh, you can find them at paper rec- paperbagrecords.com. And of course, your local independent record store probably has their records as well. So make sure you pick a, a record up today from Paperbag. Um, also, please check out our sponsor at ebooks.otherrecordlabels.com for uh, a great ebook on the world of playlisting and use the coupon code other for 10% off. Thanks for listening.